morning. My name is Adam. If you don't know me, it's uh, really wonderful to have you with us this morning as we worship our great God and as we open up His uh, Word together. This morning we're continuing the sermon series that we've been in for the last few weeks that we've called Union with Christ, the most important truth you've never heard. And this week I read about the time that the famous evangelist Billy Graham was asked by a leading Los Angeles, Los Angeles businessman the question, what do you suppose God is like? What do you suppose God is like? Now I wonder, if you were Billy in that situation, how would you answer that question? I wonder if you've ever thought about that question before, or I wonder if anyone's ever asked you that question, what is God like? Now, maybe one of the first images that, that comes into your mind if you're here this morning is uh, a big policeman in the sky. He's just on the lookout for people who are doing wrong things so he can catch them and punish them. Or maybe you're thinking, no, Adam, the, the first image that comes into my mind is a kind old grandfather. You know, he, he, God just wants everyone to get along and, and everyone to be happy. Or maybe you're a Christian and, and you're thinking, well... I would say, well, God is love. And you'd be absolutely correct. That's what the Bible tells us. God is love. Maybe you'd say, well, Adam, I'd say God is just. He does what is right. And again, you'd be correct. The Bible tells us that. Maybe you'd say, Adam, God is merciful and gracious and slow to anger. And yes, yes, and yes, God is all of those things and more. But there's another word that the Bible uses to describe the character and nature of God. It's an incredibly important word. It really describes fundamentally who God is. In fact, this word is repeated over 600 times in the Bible. And of course, I'm talking about the word holy. Holy. In Isaiah Chapter 6, the Old Testament book, this is what we read in verse 3. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. This is an incredibly important word. And in fact, we actually see the importance of this word in this very verse. See, today, if we want to emphasize a word, we bold it or we underline it or, or we do something like that. But in that day, when you're writing on different materials, what you would do if you wanted to emphasize a word is you would repeat it. And so this writer of Isaiah is wanting to emphasize the holiness of God. And in fact, this is the only time in the Bible where an attribute of God is repeated three times in succession. The Bible never says God is just, 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 or God is mercy, mercy, mercy. Well, God is love, 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 but it does say God is holy, holy, holy. It's an incredibly important word. But let's be honest. The word holy is not a very popular word in our world today. I mean, the word holy doesn't get used very often, and when it does, it's usually misunderstood or, or um, misused. The word holy seems kind of irrelevant and unimportant to our everyday lives, doesn't it? In fact, maybe you're thinking right now, man, I 
dragged myself out of bed this morning to come to church to hear about holiness. Great. But the truth is, if you're a Christian, there is nothing more relevant to your everyday ordinary life than this word, holy. Because the word holy not only describes the character and the nature of God, it also describes who you are to become by God's grace. In fact, this word answers the fundamental question that we'll be exploring today. The question, what are we here for? What am I here for? What is my purpose in life? See, we're in a a series at the moment, like I mentioned, called Union with Christ, and we're looking at our relationship to Jesus and how it changes everything about us and how it answers some of the key questions of our lives. And so if you remember back to week one, we we saw how when we put our faith in Christ, the Bible says that we are united to Christ. We are in Christ. And what this means is Christianity, it's not just about trying to do good, avoid bad, so that one day we can go to heaven. Christianity is a relationship of such intimacy with Jesus Christ that we are united to him. And this changes everything about us. Week two, we saw that this gives us a new identity. We're a child of God, loved, forgiven, empowered. Last week we saw that this truth gives us a new horizon for our lives, a new destiny. It is to have the image of God restored in us, to become the people that God created us to be. And today what we're going to see is that this truth of our union with Christ gives us a new purpose in our day-to-day lives. It answers the question, why am I here? What's my purpose in life? What should I be doing with my day-to-day life? Now this is a big question, isn't it? And this is a question that has had lots of different answers uh, suggested over the years. But the truth is, the Bible gives us a very clear answer to this question. And we see the answer in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14-16. to 16. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there or you can uh, follow along on the screen. This is what we read, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 to 16. Peter writes, and he says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. He's describing their life prior to coming to know Jesus. Then verse 15 he says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am. Holy. So in these verses, Peter is making very clear our purpose and our calling in life, and that is to be holy. Now, because there's such confusion and misunderstanding about this word holy, it's very important that we're clear what this word means. And to put it simply, the word holy in the original Hebrew, it means to be separate or to be set apart. So, for example, in the Gettysburg Address in 1863 that Abraham Lincoln gave, he declared that the Civil War battlefield in America, in Pennsylvania, he declared it was hallowed ground, holy ground. In other words, because of the momentous events that had taken place on that battlefield, Gettysburg would no longer just be ordinary or common. It would be set apart. It would have special significance and special meaning. It would, from this moment on, Lincoln said, be holy ground. 
And so when the Bible describes God as holy, 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 it means that he is utterly and absolutely unique and different to everything that he has made. That he is set apart. He is in his own category. And when the Bible calls us to be holy, it means that we are to be set apart for God's purposes. We belong to God. We live on his terms. We delight in him. We obey him. We honour him. We are to reflect his character in our lives. Our holy God calls us to be holy, to reflect him, to be distinct. Now I know that for some of us, this can be a little bit difficult. It's not easy. In fact, I think many of us, when we think about holiness and being separate and set apart, we think a little bit about this story, or we think about it in the same way like this story that I read this week. Listen to this. This describes how some of us feel, I think, about holiness. A young police officer was taking his final exam at Hendon Police College in North London. And the first three questions in his exam were relatively easy. And then he got to question four. Question four went like this. You're on patrol in outer London when an explosion occurs in a gas main in a nearby street. On investigation, you find that a large hole has been blown in the footpath and that there is an overturned van lying nearby. Inside the van, there's a strong smell of alcohol. Both occupants, a man and a woman, are injured. You recognise the woman as the wife of your divisional inspector, who is at present away in the United States. A passing motorist stops to offer you assistance, but you realise that he is a man who's wanted for armed robbery. Suddenly, another man runs out of a nearby house, shouting that his wife is expecting a baby, and the shock of the explosion has made the birth imminent. Another man is crying for help, having been blown into an adjacent canal by the explosion, and he cannot swim. Describe in a few words what actions you would take. The police officer thought for a moment, picked up his pen and wrote, I would take off my uniform and mingle with the crowd. Now isn't that the temptation for us as well? To take off our Christian uniform, to mingle with the crowd, to be like everybody else because it's just so much easier. But you see, God calls us as his redeemed people to be holy, to be distinctive, to be set apart. This is the way God's word puts it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. Very simply, God's will is for you to be holy. Now, if you're wondering, I'm not sure what God wants me to do with my life. I'm not sure what God's will is for my life. There it is, right there. God's will is for you to be holy. That's why God's redeemed you. That's why God saved you, for you to live a holy life. But this leaves us with a question, doesn't it? And that is, if holiness is so important and so prized and so integral for us, then why don't we prize it or pursue it more passionately? I mean, if holiness is such an important part of the Christian life, why do we not experience it more in daily living? Why did we not perhaps talk about it a little bit more? 
Rankin Wilborn is an author who we're kind of bouncing out of for this series and he suggests at least three reasons that we don't prize or pursue holiness uh, as wholeheartedly as we perhaps should. The first is, he says, because it seems undesirable. I mean, the word holy itself has been a little bit tarnished, hasn't it? Both inside and outside the church. When we hear that word, it kind of suggests something negative, something a bit restrictive, something prudish, something self-righteous. It makes us think of rules and restrictions and wagging fingers and clucking tongues. Maybe if you grew up watching Little House on the Prairie, it makes you think of Mrs. Olsen. This is for the different age bracket. I'll use a different illustration tonight. If you remember, she was arrogant, she was snooty, she was legalistic, she was mean, and she went to church. And that's kind of the view that people have of holiness. Or maybe you think of this group, the Holy Rollers from The Simpsons. Or maybe you're too holy to watch The Simpsons and that's fine. It's kind of superior, self-righteous, holier-than-thou attitude. When we hear this word holy, it seems to us to be a call to deny anything pleasurable or anything fun. It seems undesirable. Number two, Rankin says, is that it seems unnecessary. You see, some Christians mistakenly believe that because Jesus died upon the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, then the way we live is unimportant and inconsequential. But listen to this warning that we're given in Hebrews chapter 12. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Rankin goes on and he says, The grace of God alone makes humanity right with God. That's a glorious truth of the gospel. But sometimes, he says, our efforts to stress what is unique and compelling about Christianity, grace, can lead to a conclusion that is dangerously false. That what we do and how we live don't matter to God. So daily obedience and a life of holiness are unnecessary. See, sometimes the good news of Christianity is mistakenly represented as a blank check, which means that holiness is mistakenly seen as unnecessary. Number three, which another reason we might not prize or pursue holiness as we should, is that it seems unattainable. For many of us, we've tried to obey God, we've tried to live according to his purpose and design, but we just keep failing and falling over and over again. And the truth is, we can begin to feel cynical, resigned, even defeated. Maybe you resonate with these words I read from a dejected Christian this week. This person writes and they say, I see where I am and I see way in the distance where I'm supposed to be, the person God wants me to be. But the distance between these two points seem hopelessly long, with steep mountains and impassable rivers between. I'll never get there. So why even try? See, when we talk about holiness and our pursuit of it, it's very easy for us to think about it as undesirable, unnecessary or even unattainable. So what I'd like to do today and the rest of the time that we have together is to try and convince you that holiness is actually beautiful. That holiness is your highest good and greatest purpose in life because God has called you to reflect his character in your life. And of course we see God's character most clearly and most vividly in the life of Jesus Christ. 
See, there's only one person who has ever reflected God's character in all of his ways, and that's Jesus. And that's why at its essence, holiness looks like Jesus. In the life of Jesus, we see the most holy, the most beautiful, the most human, the most free human life that has ever lived. And it's not boring or stuffy or legalistic or mean, but the life of Jesus is beautifully compelling. In Jesus, we see how to love. Jesus is our model for humility. Jesus is our model for facing temptation, for steadfastness in the midst of suffering, for obedience to God the Father. Jesus was always gentle but never soft. He was bold but never brash. He was pure but never prudish. He was full of truth but not at the expense of grace. He obeyed his parents. He kept the law of God. He forgave his enemies. He never lusted. He never coveted. He never lied. And in all that Jesus Christ did during his life, and especially at the end, he loved God with all of his heart and he loved his neighbour as himself. And when the Bible calls us to be holy, it's not calling us to become prudish and stuffy and legalistic and mean calling us to become happy and whole and gentle. It's calling us to become who God created us to be, like Jesus. But maybe you're thinking, kind of like last week, well, Adam, again, that sounds nice to be like Jesus, but can I actually do that? How do I actually do that? What, What does that look like in my life? How can holiness become not just something that's out there, but a reality that I experience? Well, again, the answer, of course, is found in our union with Christ. That when we're united to Christ, it changes everything about us, including the way we approach and understand our pursuit of holiness. And it helps us in two ways. The first is this, that union with Christ is the anchor of our holiness. Now, what does an anchor do? Think about this. An anchor holds you firm when the winds blow and the waves crash. An anchor keeps you from being blown away and blown off course. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear about our need to become holy and to pursue holiness, I can become discouraged about where I am and how far I have to go. And in those moments of discouragement, when the winds of sin and the waves of suffering are kind of blowing in my life, I can feel like at times that I'm being blown away from God. But in those moments, union with Christ can serve as our anchor. Because the Bible says that if we are united to Christ by faith, then his perfect obedience, his holiness is ours also. And we won't be blown away. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, this truth that we read. It says, God has united you with Christ Jesus. Christ made us right with God. He has done what? He made us pure and holy and he freed us from sin. If you are in Christ, you have been declared holy. You have been made holy. And this can be an anchor for you, friend, when you go through times of doubt and struggle and weakness. When you think to yourself, man, if I really, really loved God, would I be doing this? Would I be feeling this? Would I be thinking this? 
if I still struggle with this, does God really still love me? You can remind yourself that Christ is your holiness. He is your anchor. But of course the reality is that if we're going to move forward, then like a ship, we don't only need just an anchor, we also need an engine. And this is the second truth that we can learn from union with Christ, that union with Christ is the engine of our holiness. See, though the Bible tells us that we have been declared holy, we've been made holy, we've been given the gift of holiness, this does not mean that our pursuit of holiness is unnecessary. That the Bible is clear on this at numerous points. We've already been told to, in First Peter to be holy because I'm holy. We're to grow in grace and knowledge. We're to grow up in every way into him, we're told in Ephesians 4. In other words, in the Bible, holiness is something that we already are and what we are to become. And if this sounds odd to you, this is the way that God has always dealt with his people. Think about in the Old Testament when God called his people Israel. He didn't come to them and say, obey me, love me, and then be holy, and then I'll rescue you, then I'll redeem you. He came to them, he rescued them, he redeemed them from slavery, and then he said, obey me, follow me, be holy. They were to become who God had already declared them to be, loved, forgiven, chosen by him. And it's the same for us. Union with Christ means that you are in Christ, you're hidden in Christ, that you're holy in Christ. But union with Christ also means that Christ is in you. The presence and power of Jesus dwells within you by his Spirit. And the Holy Spirit empowers you to become holy, to pursue holy, to become who you are. And so do you see how union with Christ changes and transforms and empowers our pursuit of holiness? When we fail, when we fall, when we're afraid... We have an anchor. We are in Christ. When we're tired, when we're discouraged, when we feel defeated, when the road looks too long, we have an engine. Christ in us. And to really push this truth deep down into our hearts, I'd like to close by sharing with you something that I read this week from a pastor. He says this. He says, I recently taught my son Jack how to ride a bicycle. He was terrified. At first he kept turning around to make sure that I was right there beside him. But you can't move forward if you are always anxiously checking behind you. When Jack was able to hear my voice, I've got you, I've got you, and he could trust that I was right there, then he was able to move forward in confidence. Dad's got me. One of the reasons why holiness is so scary or unattractive for us is that we see it as a bar we can never reach or yet another thing we fail to do. We do fail, we fall, and when we do, we fear that God is disappointed in us, that he is scowling, so we want to pull away from him and hide. How can you remember, Dad's got me? What reminds you that he is right there with you? That his affection for you does not change when you fall off the bike. If anything, it grows warmer as he rushes to you in compassion. Well, why did I want Jack to learn how to ride his bike? Not only so he can one day deliver newspapers and start paying rent, but also so he can know the joy of feeling the wind in his hair and so we can ride our bikes together. His little legs can't keep up with me when we walk or run, but on wheels my son and I can experience more life together and enjoy each other's company. 
God wants us to grow in holiness, not as some sort of test or punishment, not even just as preparation for the future, but because he wants us to enjoy life with him more. The more we grow in holiness, the more we can enjoy his presence. He wants us not simply to press on, but to soar. He wants holiness for us, for our joy. So when we understand our holiness in the light of our union with Christ, it becomes something that's not stuffy, restrictive, legalistic or mean. It becomes something compellingly beautiful. Because it's just like Jesus. And it's exactly who we were created to be. Be holy because I am holy. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have redeemed us in Jesus. And Lord, thank you that we don't have to be holy to come to you. We simply come to you with the empty hands of faith. And then, Lord, you graciously give us everything that we need in Christ. Oh, Lord, help us to realise the profound truth of what it means to be united to your Son and our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we go from here, help us to understand that he is our anchor, he is our engine, and that you are changing and transforming us for your glory and for our joy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let's stand together and respond in song. <laughs>